0: chapter one of the typewriter girl this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org the typewriter girl by grant allen chapter one introduces a latter-day heroine i was twenty-two and without employment i would not say by this that i was without occupation in the world in which we live set with daisies and kingfishers and undeciphered faces of men and women i doubt i could be at a loss for something to occupy me a swallow's back as he turns in the sunshine is so full of meaning if you dwell in the country you need but pin on a hat and slip out into a meadow and there in some bite of the hedgerow you shall see spring buds untwisting sulphur butterflies coquetting hear nightingales sing as they sang to keats, and streamlets make madrigal as they wimpled for Marlow. Nay, even here in London, where life is rarer, how can I cruise down the strand without encountering strange barks, mysterious argosies that attract and intrigue me? That living stream is so marvellous. Whence come they, these shadows, and whither do they go? innumerable silent each wrapped in his own thought yet each real to himself as i to my heart to me they are shooting stars phantoms that flash athwart the orbit of my life one second and then vanish but to themselves they are the centre of a world of the world and i am but one of the meteors that dart across their horizon i cannot choose but wonder who each is and why he is here for one after another i invent a story it may not be the true story but at least it amuses me every morning i see them stream in from the unknown by the early trains and disperse like sparks that twinkle on the thin soot of the chimney-back men with small black bags bound for mysterious offices what happens in those offices i have no idea they may lend money or buy shares or promote christian knowledge i only know i see them come in the morning and flit again at night sometimes the same figures recognizably identical they rush back absorbed to catch the train to the unknown as they rushed up from it earlier so day after day the tide sets and ebbs while i stand on the shore of the vast sea of london like a child that watches and commissioner lynn guards me i have always been grateful to mr samuel butler for his eccentric theory that a woman wrote the odyssey i do not say that i agree with him if i did i am not aware that any critic would attach the least importance to my opinion but it is a soothing theory for us latter-day women without thinking it true I love to believe it. The Odyssey, you will grant, is the epic of the imagination. It is the epic of mystery. In the Iliad, which is the epic of fact, everything is clear-cut, distinct, commonplace. I do not conceive that a woman could have written the Iliad. Its theme would fail to interest her. That hard hand play of battle counts for naught to our sex clang of bronze sword on ringing shield rouses no echo in our heart or brain. It is a masculine poem. How practical it is, how cold, how every day, how mannish, considering its august age, how little it gleams with the glamour of antiquity. Ulysses in the Iliad is just a shifty politician, an adroit public speaker. Achilles is just a petulant, ill-disciplined young warrior. I have met him in London, fresh home from the Transvaal. The whole mighty saga is a saga of men's ideas, so sharp is it in its outlines, so historical, so definite. But the Odyssey, yes, I read in it clearly the fine hand of a woman. It has the vagueness, the elusiveness. The melting, hazy charm of feminine craft it thrills with mystery, and woman is the mystic. Look at its glorious dimness, you descry its geography in veiled outline only as one beholds the paps of Dura on a day of sea-fog through swaying sheets of white cloud from a fisherman's boat on the bay of Oban. It is a Celtic dreamland. From morning to night, in that enchanted poem, on and on we sail past uncertain isles or dubious blue headlands, begirt with fantastic forms, and in perils of the sea more awesome than the real. Architects have reconstructed Priam's palace, I believe, from the description in the Iliad. That is man's way of describing, but who could reconstruct from the rapt words of the Odyssey? circe's island or the gardens of alcinous peering and prying schliemann found in the battle epic a whole plan of the troad or at least read one into it fancy even imagining you could construct a chart of the mediterranean to show the homeward maze of the much travelled wanderer from ilion to ithaca the bare idea would indicate a misconception of the odyssey for those are the seas and islands that never were they live but in the ghost geography of poets and women as arguments indeed the proofs adduced seem to me preposterous it is nonsense to say that in the odyssey the chief role is played by women do women's books deal exclusively or even mainly with their own sex is not the titan man the strong sardonic? Woman quelling hero, a recognized commonplace of women's fancy. I do not believe an Ithacan lady wrote the Odyssey because of the relative importance of Penelope and Nausicaa. Surely, even a man might have set Penelope at her web or Nausicaa at her tennis. In that, I see nothing occult or esoterically feminine. Men must be aware that every circe has the power of turning men into swine they ought to know they have seen it done daily no those are not the reasons that weigh with me it is the wonder the magic the purple mystery of the odyssey that tells to my mind in favour of its female authorship and though i know mr samuel Butler's theory is not true i thank god i am woman enough none the less to embrace it But what has all this to do with my story the story i am setting out in my own fashion to tell you a great deal and besides unless you let me tell it in my own wayward way i can never get through with it in that respect also i hold myself true woman and this is the connection if only we could have lived in those days people say i answer you are living in them it is not the days not the places not the things that change but we who see them otherwise consider the mediterranean is the same sea to-day as when the Ithacan lady who wrote the odyssey looked out upon its blue zones to behold it peopled with strange forms and wizard shadows for that nameless sappho that prehistoric charlotte bronte that inchoate elizabeth barrett browning the ionian manes swarmed alive with gorgons and harpies as lochfinna with herrings sirens sang on every rock to lure the seamen promontories glowed red at set of sun with the forges of the cyclops you may steam down the prosaic adriatic today in an austrian lloyd steamer a fearsome behemoth bellowing snorting flame breathing and identify those charmed shores of hellenic fancy as laid down with soundings in the admiralty surveys but that is your blindness scylla and charybdis are there as of old tis you who turn them into the straits of messina polyphemus still haunts his seaward cave tis you who transform him into a custom-house officer adventures are to the adventuress go through the world in search of calypso and you will surely find her be modern and you will find only williston junction that may suffice for you i live in those days as all lovers of the mystical have always lived in them and i will go forth into the world in search of adventures they are sure to come to me for faith moves mountains in every age when the princess cleodoland is sent out from the city as a prey for the dragon some youthful st george in celestial armour rides by in the nick of time on his snow-white steed and draws his trusty blade and fights for her and rescues her from the loathly thing else what were the use of faith and of poetry in every age we fashion the story anew in our passing manner dressing it up in our own clothes and fitting it to our particular modes and morals but tis the same to the end through all disguises the greeks told it as the tale of perseus and andromeda they made their hero purely greek a triumphant young son of immortal zeus who rescues a beautiful princess with fair nude limbs like parian marble from the devouring sea-monster medieval italy made the sign of the cross turned the son of danae into a christian martyr and clad the beautiful nude maiden in clinging silk robes as it would fain have clad malian aphrodite herself when it converted her image into a crowned madonna the renaissance came and cellini unclothed her again in his revived paganism to set her polished bronze limbs where every eye might see and stare in the piazza at florence our modern novelists dress her up afresh in the princess robe of the day sage green or crushed strawberry and turn her loose on that slimy old dragon the world Till Prince Charming comes by as a baronet in a tennis suit to lay at her feet ten thousand a year and the title of my lady, but tis the old tale still, and who lists to tell it may trick it out once more in his own heart's fashion. For though there be nothing new under the sun, the old wonder is there as marvellous as ever if you choose to marvel at it each spring brings it back a perpetual miracle so i set forth into the world a princess cleodoland of the nineteenth century ready to face the dragons that as i well know abound in it and full of faith in the saint george who will come to rescue me i mean to sail away on my odyssey unabashed touching at such shores as may chance to beckon yet hopeful of reaching at last the realms of alcinous from all which you may guess that i am a girton girl end of chapter one